and welcome to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. I'm Sebastian. I'm Josh. We have Josh joining us uh, as a, <laughs> uh, a guest co-host on today's show. Uh, very excited to see how this unfolds. Uh, all of uh, Sebastian's mum was out there going, who's, mm. who's Josh? Who is, this? Who is this person? We have had Josh on before, but that was, I think we were still into the Velvet Studio name. You were, it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. There is a club in uh, St. George, BC. For those who aren't familiar, it's a city about halfway up the province. Um, it's not particularly huge. Um, for the second week in a row, the club there called um, the Lambda Cabaret has uh, insisted on being open, no mask mandates, mm-hmm. serving alcohol, regardless of the provincial ban in place and without foods. And uh, they've essentially said, because they don't discriminate, they also will not discriminate against those who are refusing to follow public health advice. And this has certainly brought the ire of LGBT folks in Prince George and essentially saying, you know, when queer folks fought against discrimination, that meant being fired for your job, thrown off the back of Parliament Hill. Well, you know, th- there was some serious consequences to that discrimination. Um, defying public health orders is a bit of a false equivalency when it comes to uh, tackling uh, discrimination. <laughs> there is a false dis- equivalency between saying discrimination against LGBT folks and discrimination oh, yeah, no, I mean, that the anti-vaxxers and people refusing to wear masks It's analogous at best, um, but it, it is... I don't know. It, to say that there there is no overlap whatsoever, I don't know how honest that is either. Like, it, being fired for having a choice. Well, the other thing is um, uh, some of the policies, like, some of the policies do account for things like uh, there are certain autoimmune conditions and there are certain, well, I mean, immune conditions, really, where um, all vaccines, not even just the mRNA vaccines, but vaccines in general react poorly with your system. And uh, not everybody accounts for that. Like, not everybody has like the exception of I have a medical reason where I can't do it. Here's the documentation, and the answer is if there's no QR code for that, I can't scan you in, and therefore you can't get into my shop. Uh, that's that is not an issue with this bar. That's not an issue with the individuals who can't get vaccinated. That's just an uh, an issue with whoever developed the QR codes is not failing to account for that. Um, but there are I don't know. Like I, I think. To say it's completely and totally a false equivalency is as dishonest as saying it's 100% identical. I mean, it's interesting because this bar was told multiple times and it's and it seems like they've decided in for a penny, in for a pound. Well, actually, they're, not, they're not following any instructions. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. When you said they were serving liquor and no food, my brain was like, oh, that's not liquor law compliant. <laughs> like they're they're breaking multiple laws. And that was the yeah. part was like, oh, shut that place. Like, are they also blocking the fire exit while they're at it? Like, it's just, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it, it, you did list several things there where I was like, I'm sure an inspector could probably shut them down for a lot more than just that because there's also things like do they have a patio because there are some people who are willing to stand outside with their beers uh like if ice fishers are willing to stand outside with their beers i'm sure people would be happy to go to a bar and stand outside with their beers and if you're outside the laws are a little bit different but like but they're serving alcohol with no food available shut that down um it's i don't know like 
you can set up a protest, you can try to stand your ground, but there are certain things where it's like, you know, yeah, but it's sort of like if you do or do not agree with the convoy being parked on Parliament Hill, if you disagree with the fact that they should each get a hefty parking ticket for being parked somewhere they shouldn't be for more than 20 days, like, no, that's 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 appropriate regardless of your attitude. Like they should at least get a parking ticket. At least get a parking ticket. And that bar should at least get dinged for violating liquor law, if nothing so else. That bar had its liquor license pulled on the 11th, which at time of recording was a solid seven days ago. Okay. Um, so they are, I mean, it's causing concern in the community because this is, it's not a huge place, Prince right, George. Right. It's not massive. And the concern is this. What was the thing with this? Yeah, so this LGBT-friendly bar, not LGBT-owned as far as we are aware, um, is one of the only resources in the city. And the queer community is thinking, well, first of all, it's been insulting to say that you are that false comparison I talked about earlier. Mm. But also, there's sort of deep, blatant disregard for even any, you know, municipal or provincial law mm-hmm. means that this uh, this very limited venue is very likely to be shut down. Mm-hmm. So their efforts to stop discrimination is, is moot when the doors are forced closed and nobody can go, regardless yeah, yeah. of whether or not you want to wear a mask. I am trying to sort of grapple sort of with this dissonance I feel I'm sort of feeling um, with listening to the two of you. Um, I can sort of totally identify with Sebastian's very... Uh, sort of measured um, and thoughtful uh, approach to thinking about this. I feel like I'm sort of leaning more uh, towards Luke's um, point of view, just because, and this is less a logical sort of philosophical argument, more of an emotional one. Um, Mm -hmm. It just feels weird to be, uh, there is a certain political charge, I think, to the idea that, you know, uh, that all health mandates are discriminatory and should be ignored. Um, there's, I think, a political charge a lot because of, you know, the convoy the convoy mm-hmm. here in Ottawa and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that political charge feels for sure in opposition with the idea that, um, you know, this bar doesn't discriminate against people on the basis of their sexual orientation. Um, that feels weird to me. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of that, that like, there's a certain disconnect between those two ideas that I think Luke is trying to get at. No, I, I, yeah. I, I get it in the sense, because I've complained about this in the past, that there's sort of this escalation that happens in public discourse where like, you know, why say harassment when you can say abuse? Why say abuse when you can say violence? And a lot of things get called violence and you're like, but there was no hands-on. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Abuse, absolutely. But I don't know about violence. Same thing with discrimination. Like, discrimination is not the right word if you could find some word that means like 60 percent what discrimination means um if you could make some kind of hierarchy of terms of like Mm -hmm. uh, then i would be like i I would be into that i I think it's that that same sort of over escalation where like i see what they're saying when they say discrimination but i don't know if discrimination is the right word and i think discrimination is too strong a word for what it is but i agree that the thing that they're noticing I also notice, and I'm also uncomfortable with, but I've always thought discrimination was a weird use of that term. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are being asked to differentiate between those wearing masks and complying with 
provincial health law mm-hmm. and differentiate against those who are not complying with provincial health law. And maybe this bar doesn't want to differentiate between anyone, mm-hmm. which I think is is such a foolish decision because now that business will be shut down and their owners will be put out of business through fines and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems like such a odd bridge to die on almost. You know what I mean? It seems very short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Especially as seven days later now, um, the province of BC has now, in fact, lifted the vast majority of their capacity and uh, other requirements. So yeah. it is, <laughs> the world has just moved on anyway. Yeah. And uh, they are the ones sitting there with those hefty uh, fines and their liquor license having been pulled. On to more cheerful news. Mm-hmm. Halifax Pride has announced that they are planning to be on the street in July. Now, unlike Toronto Pride, which at this rate may be on the street in a very different sense of the word. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> Halifax Pride is planning not a virtual event, but a uh, an in-person march and parade. Um, what do you think, guys? This is the first time in... They're looking at July 14th, 24th, with the 24th being the return of the parade. You know, we're su- supposedly moving into the endemic stage of... of uh, you know, this this pandemic. I've been stabbed in the arm three times by the for the vaccine. Is this where we're going? Are we going to see pride parades in 2020? Where are we now? To 2022? I think there's a critical mass issue of, um, because I, I still think, like, the, the data coming in is showing that certain measures did not work at all, and others, like, uh, social distancing turns out to be way more effective than we thought it would be. Like we knew it would be effective, but it turns out that like countries that implemented social distancing early and had very strong public information about it have done pretty well over the past two years. So I, I think maintaining social distance for at least another few months, I think is a very strong idea, but like that's hard to do in Toronto where the population basically doubles every time they have the trouble, uh, the, the, the pride parade. It's just for a few hours because people are coming into the suburbs, but they Core Toronto, not including Aurelia and Mississauga and all that, it almost doubles in population during Toronto Pride. You can't do social distancing there. Halifax, I think their biggest problem is that most of the city is pretty hilly, so they need to find a parade route that makes sense and is not like 90 degrees. Um, And uh, doing a little bit of social distancing in Halifax would be probably, I'm not making it out to be a village of 300 people. But like, it is easier to do social distancing there than in somewhere like Vancouver, Montreal, or uh, Toronto. So I think for them, it makes absolute sense. I think Toronto should probably think twice. I think Toronto should think twice about a lot of things, really. Um, But Vancouver is not the devil. And I I think they should probably think twice about it as well. So I mean, I I think a lot of it just comes down to the advantage of Halifax being Halifax. And they they can do it safely, more safely, I should say. I think we've got we've had a couple of years now of um, learning how to hold events in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. Um, uh, aside from sort of best practices about having events in person, uh, the idea of having sort of hybrid events where you know things are partly virtual mm. um, or yeah, partly virtual. Um, or there's some way to join virtually. Uh, I think there are ways to have the event in person, but also reduce the number of uh, people actually 
attending. So we've figured it out hopefully by now. And uh, most of us are used to the idea of having fun over Zoom. So I think there's also been a cultural impact. You know, when I think about 2018, 2019 and the Pride Parades, I, you know, I've been to many of them. I have had no issue standing in a throng five deep. That's T-H-R-O-N-G, not just T-H-O-N-G. We're talking about Pride. It could have been either or, mm. you know. But I've been stood in a, in a throng at Pride, you know, five people deep, looking at millions of people breathing as they go past me mm. and didn't even think of it. Just that thought never crossed my mind. I was more worried about... <laughs> I was more <laughs> I was more worried about being shot by Jim Watson's super soaker than I was worried about <laughs> uh, about other things, uh, you know, fluids. But the the I mean, the I was in that, 2018, but that's because in 2017 I had pneumonia. I yeah, don't know if you, you remember did. that, but I had real bad pneumonia. <laughs> but it so, occurs to me that ever since then, now. Do I want to be in a crowd, in a throng of people five deep? No, thank you. Mm. No, thank you. I would be, I, I got anxious going into a, you know, a grocery store because it was busy on a Sunday. And it's like, there are seven people in this aisle. There are, that is too many humans. Mm. Um, so I think the reason why I bring this up is because I think the folks of Halifax, these Nova Scotians are going to naturally spread themselves out a bit because mm. nobody wants to be within breathing space of other people necessarily. Also, I think there is something to be said about the fact that Halifax or Nova Scotia has an 89% vaccination rate mm. in terms of first dose. And this, you know, Canada has a 54% third dose vaccination rate, mm. which is, you know, we're one of the most vaccinated countries in the world. I, I think, think it's a 78% have at least one. It's actually at 88% at five years and older have okay. had at least one dose in Canada. And I think what that means is every city, not just Halifax, with our new natural aversion to other humans, mm -hmm. as sad as that sounds, and the fact that we've been boosted up the wazoo is going to make pride parades, you know, much safer now than it was, you know, one or two years ago, you know, to take place in person. Mm. And lastly, I don't think pride, um, pride committees could financially survive another virtual year. You know, mm. Josh, you mentioned yes, that sir. everyone has pivoted and being able to adapt, but some of the big ones have still have staff that needs paying. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of money dried up when the events dried up. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is good, great, and also, unfortunately, quite necessary. Some of that, like this, this kind of feeds into a conversation we've had in the past about the scale of pride, because like Toronto pride is massive. It is one of the world's largest pride festivals. And there have been times where they've been on the doorstep, doorstep of bankruptcy. And we kind of, I remember this was a couple of years ago. We, we had a discussion about, because um, that was around the same time that uh, uh, the, 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 one of the banks in the States were, was failing and the, the idea of too big to fail was on everybody's lips. And we're like, is Toronto too big to fail? Or should they just realistically say, we are a festival for Toronto and we could scale back and do locally based events for locals. We don't have to focus on tourists just to make ends meet. I think there's a lot of communities that could do that, scale back and just focus on smaller events for the community and rebuild over time. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to depend on grants. I mean, the, the, if the grants are available, then yeah, by all means, but if they're not available, then I think people will adapt. 
I think it's possible. And I, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I mean, there's going to be a, a few festivals that have too much ego to scale it back. And I think that's just a matter of the people who are on the committee. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think there's a lot of communities that will look at it and say, well, what did we do in 2000 before there were grants, before there was banks, you know, uh, giving us handouts for this kind of thing? Like, I think, I think you're, well, handouts at the cost of putting TD's logo on literally everything. Uh, but the still, banks may be available in your area. Just no, <laughs> no, they, they have a monopoly, but um, the, the, uh, in terms think, of pride sponsorships, I just don't want, you know, oh, yeah. taking a court for accusing TD <laughs> yeah, 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 of a monopoly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, I, I think there's going to be smaller festivals, certainly places, you know, like, like, I don't know, like, you know, Regina and Winnipeg and the smaller in the grand scheme of, of Canada. They're, they're bustling cities, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, that they will probably have more flexibility to say, I think this year we can keep it small and local and, and try to keep it in a way where the, the books balance and will we'll regrow over time as the community becomes more confident coming out to events. I think there's going to be a lot of committees that will have the the uh, pride committees that will have the, uh, the confidence and realism to be able to do that. And I think there's going to be a few that are going to insist like, no, we're world-class. We're going to stay world-class and they're going to shoot themselves in the foot. Mm. That's my assessment. <laughs> uh, the Canadian women's ice hockey team took the Olympic gold. Ooh. Congratulations mm. to uh, a truly astonishing team of uh, Olympians. Who are they playing against? I don't. They were don't... playing against the states. Now oh, we lost oh. out in 2018. The Americans pipped us at the post in 2018. Uh, this was seen as a bit of an epic rematch of Olympic proportions, and I, uh, yeah, we I we took gold. That... They took silver. Yeah, I don't know that much about sports ball, but I do know that some time ago the Canadian male hockey team and the Canadian uh, the the Finnish hockey team at, at the Olympics there was a, an ongoing rivalry there. And then it was like Poland or something came out of nowhere and just bashed them both into the ground. And it was like, oh, okay. But yeah. Well, I can, the reason why I bring it up is because last week we talked about the seven openly uh, LGBT, uh, openly queer uh, athletes on the Canadian women's uh, hockey team, mm -hmm. which does make this the, the, the queerest Olympic victory of all time um, so far. So it, it, is, it is quite substantial. And uh, Glad actually pointed out that mm -hmm. when you also consider Alex Carpenter, the U.S. forward on their team, and Ronja Savolinen of the Finnish team, every medal-winning team had queer representation at the Ooh. women's hockey uh, at the Olympics. So, I mean, as a sport, seeing that, I'm like, clearly the highest level of sport in women's hockey is pretty chill. So if I was, uh, you know, a, a, a lady of lesbian persuasion, that's maybe the sport I would look into. Um, for me, I, I look at men's Olympic diving and rugby, mainly for different reasons. Is there rugby <laughs> at the Olympics? Because if there were rugby at the Olympics, Summer Olympics, obviously, that would probably be the gayest sport because rugby is pretty gay. Okay, we are jumping to our first song. This is I Will Stand by Tanya Joy, and we will be back just after this. You criticize me because I have a different voice I choose to live free and you disagree with that choice I will 
win, but I don't have to let you in. I won't put up a fight, but that don't mean I let you win. I will stand, I will stand in the Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And I'm Josh. And we are moving on from talking about the Bob spread to mm-hmm. a, a two-page spread that I saw in Mike, uh, Mike.com. And it is a really interesting article. It sort of jumped off the page when I saw it. And I was like, huh. Um, so the, the, the heading, I think, does a lot of heavy lifting with this article. Queer people have mastered sexual friendships and it's time you straights caught on. Sebastian, do you feel, before I get into the depth of the article, do you feel that queer folks have mastered sexual friendships? I feel like there's two statements in that title. And statement one, that uh, queer folks have mastered sexual friendships. I think that's more true than false. I think there's a few exceptions. And the second statement is that you straights should learn as well. I think that's a lot more complicated because pregnancy and Mm. that can be complicated. So I I think uh, birth control aside, uh, 
you know, nothing is perfect except for not doing anything at all. And well, or permanent surgical removal of stuff. Uh, and uh, I, I, I don't think everybody is interested in getting their tubes tied just to go out for the night. So I think, I think the second part, I think, is philosophically true, but realistically complicated. But the first part, I think uh, most queer people are more comfortable with like, hey, buddy, I'm single, you're single. We've been hanging out for a while. You want to do it? Okay, that means nothing. Not nothing, nothing, but you know, close enough to nothing. Hey, buddy, see you next Friday. Like, mm -hmm. that's very reductive, but you know, you know the, the spirit of it. It's it's funny you say that because and this is an anecdote you've heard many times, Sebastian, but mm -hmm. our, our listeners may not have. Mm -hmm. um, we I used to live with Heather and we did a, a sex education show. We talked about sexual health and HIV status, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was married at the time and she said, oh, you know, Bob, I'm going to just call the gentleman Bob for privacy. Um, do I need to go pick up some condoms? And I was thinking, my God, Heather. Don't you know each other's HIV status? <laughs> like, I feel like you would have had that conversation by now. How, how is that missing from your communication? And she just looked at me dead in the eyes and said, babies. <laughs> and I had, honest to God, forgotten. I had absolutely, as a gay man, hand on heart, forgotten babies were a real consequence that can happen. Um, so yeah, queer folks do forget that. So and we do forget what is an added complexity in heterosexual pairings. Oh, I, I had a two hour conversation with her about IUDs, which shocked her because she said she's never had a, well, no, three times she's had a two hour long conversation with women about IUDs. So, I mean, it's, turns out the copper does not uh, do well with her and the hormonal tip needs to be replaced. She's not interested in that. So condoms it is, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's, there's a lot of learning to do if you want to avoid babies and uh, th there's ways around that. There's stuff you can do that does not involve putting uh, objects into containers. Um, th there's other ways of, of uh, having a, a, a pleasant pizza party. Uh, I'm being unnecessarily euphemistic here just for fun. But I think there, there are elements here beyond the the, the physical repercussions. And I, I want to kind of move into that area of, of less euphemism. The emotional um, repercussions. The, yes, exactly. Yes. And what was really interesting in this article it, is that sh the writer essentially put forward that media representation and cultural acceptance now is you have a friend, a man and a woman of friends, and if they are going to have sex and, mm -hmm. and do the business um then that friendship must end or they must be monogamous mm -hmm. and you know you can't come back from that you hear that a lot in television oh once you go there you you can't come back from that and it was that it's that premise that it is it is all or it is nothing that the writer takes most issue with essentially saying look queer folks have been doing it for decades if i disavowed every gay person I have had intimacy with, mm. there would be a lot of my friends not on that list, you know, and I think that queer and three folks... quarters of Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> I will not respond to that salacious <laughs> allegation. Um, no, but it, it's the idea that, you know, we are oh so many fish in the sea if mm. we start throwing each other out like last week's you know takeout we're mm -hmm. gonna run out of humans we can connect with that the queer community has an intimacy that is 
far closer than the heterosexual community because we're literally one-tenth. You know, the math alone makes us a, a closer community. And also, I think, and I was saying this to Josh before we recorded, I think that the queer folks need to communicate. You know, we need to, first of all, find out you're gay, you know, before mm. we even get to conversations about whether or not you're interested and because of the, the history of HIV, we often have conversations about safety and, you know, I, I bring all of this up is because I think queer folks communicate a lot more than I think maybe straight folks do. And that is where I think our mastery in post-sex friendships might come in is because we do a lot of talking as evidenced by this show. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, what do you think to have queer folks mastered uh, sexual friendships? uh speaking from experience um well no uh i think i i feel like generally yeah i mean yes speaking from experience <laughs> i suppose i'm gonna get there um uh i will admit that a lot of my queer friends are also people i have um done my taxes with and so What's so the thoughts that are jumping out to me right now are, you know, sort of why that is. And I've had a couple of sort of like flashes of thought here. Um, one of them having to do with uh, the, I'm trying to figure out exactly in my head what are the intrinsic um, expectations of our relationship between um, heterosexual men and women. Um, because I, I think there's so much tied into um, not just friendship, but just any relationship between a man and a straight man and a woman. Um, sort of there, there, there is what feels to me like uh, the the expectation of becoming more um, of uh, sort of you mentioned marriage. I think this is. I feel like that's sort of the uh, the big gear that's working here um, in my head. You once you move past this sort of gate of friendship into something more it's sort of like a there's a there's a tier there's a tiered hierarchy of um of relationships that only moves up in one direction i think at least based on the movies i've seen and the people i've spoken to um and so you know you you pass this gate and it's not it's not a gate into you know open pastures it's uh it's a gate to a set of stairs that leads to a, a pinnacle um and so I can sort of understand the uh, the societal burdens, pressures um, that lead to this dichotomy of, you know, uh, if we're straight and we have sex, um, that means we are something more and that something more, you know, leads to the rest of whatever more is. Uh, I'm throwing this out there. I feel like the concept of marriage um for queer people has not always been so um crystallized so uh you know 
strongly attached to our identities. Um, and so you open that gate and it's not necessarily this tier, this, you know, the set of stairs that leads up to a pinnacle. It's just a gate that leads to a meadow and you can walk around in it. It's, it's interesting you say that because I think it ties into this line in the article and you obviously haven't read the article, but I think uh, not obviously, I mean, I sprung this on you. Um, <laughs> the, the line I wanted to share with you is, is a quote from an interview that she did with the author of friendship as a way of life. And he says, one salient aspect of queer friendship is that sex is not necessarily the fulcrum around which a relationship turns. Sex is not necessarily the make or break of a queer friendship, nor is it the great divisional divide of friend versus lover. And goes on to say that uh, friendship is formless and it can be invented in a way. And you know, the expectations of what friendship can and cannot include uh, is not set in stone. And the, the writer of the article essentially says, and I'll quote here, when we let go of the idea that friendships are inferior to romantic and monogamous relationships, we can start to expand the possibilities of what we want our friendships to look like. Sometimes that can involve sex. And I think that that's a really interesting approach. And I think a, a, an interesting lesson for for those who aren't in the queer community to ponder, like what if we loosened up how we understand friendships? You know, I consider my best friend to be Jake. I'm sorry, Sebastian. <laughs> um, you know, and you know, our, our relationship has that depth, but there is this sort of antiquated division of those feelings and that intimacy that I think queer folks have long since moved away from. Well, there, there is a lot of literary theory out there basically saying that um, romance as we know it was basically invented in the Victorian period through the Victorian novel. And that before the ooh, Mr. Darcy effect, um, the, the, the broader idea was a little bit more negotiated. Like, I don't hate your company. You don't, don't hate my company. By company, I mean presence. Um, uh, 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 we are emotionally, you know, sort of similar to each other. We have similar dispositions. I want children. You want children. Life is finite. Uh, let's get married and run with it from there. And the idea that you should only marry people for whom you have a deep and passionate love is kind of modern. Like there's a lot of, of pretty classic stories that are, are a little bit more like, uh, you know, this is my wife. She's my pal. And uh, mm. we run a farm together, and she's really good. Yeah, she's really good at plucking chickens. You should see her go. Like that—that's the, the kind of more classic thing. Um, and the idea of being swept off your feet, and yeah, that—that's. I mean, there's also this idea of we need to abandon this sort of uh, constructed concept of romance because it's also ruining marriages, where it's mm. like. Um, you know, we've been together for a year and the passion is gone, but the passion you had may have been artificially created uh, just because of social expectations. And now you're getting into the nitty gritty reality of um, uh, she snores, he farts, uh, you know, the, you're dealing with other people's bodies. Uh, he doesn't brush his teeth for more than five seconds at his time. Is he really brushing his teeth? And like the next thing you know, that cascades. And I think cascading is also a thing. Because I was actually thinking as, as uh, well, before Mayo started speaking, Mayo, by, by Mayo, I mean Josh. 
um <laughs> that um mayo yeah is is a is a name and a nickname uh the um very similar idea of just this this crashing cascade where where in the heterosexual world this is there's this unending unhealthy optimism where there's like a 13 year old inside of all of them where like oh my god they lent me their number two pencil so that i could finish my test uh next we're gonna hold hands and by next friday we'll be married yeah, whereas yeah. i think inside of most gays there's like this horrible cynical 17 year old who's like they told me they like me, but they don't really like me. They're going to probably stab me in the back and beat me by next Friday. Mm -hmm. so. I'm getting goth emo vibes. From, <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. Regular I mean, teenager. Just just like, yeah. we'll, we'll enjoy it while it's happening. Get the best out of it. And when it ends horribly, I'll be able to say, well, at least I enjoyed it while it was lasting. And I think there's that kind of attitudinal difference. I think some of it is is cynicism. And, and I have met people, at, well, mostly gay men sometimes bisexual women but of the queer community those are the two groups i've met the most that are still capable of that optimism of oh my god he looked at me we're getting married by next friday and you don't see that that often i i don't think somebody who has that that in them would be capable of having a, a sexual friendship because i you think know, they would cascade it i i think something that you chided me for um and it, this is at the start of my relationship with with jake we hit a oh, bit yes. of a, a lull and you're like people aren't disposable yeah and that's something that we've circled back to a lot in our show that we cannot mm. keep people as a you know you know an, an object to be toyed with and disposed of some of the most amazing people that i know that i get to be able to spend time with and have conversations with I met through romantic attraction at first, you know, there's mm -hmm. a certain amount of eroticism and then you discover that they're incredible and, you know, that piece doesn't change. They don't stop being incredible because you're no longer doing taxes. You know, it's, it's important that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the queer lesson that I would like to take away from this. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to jump to all the good people by Amy Bishop and we will be back just We wave and we waver With all the might we can muster We test and are tested Sometimes the best of us are bested But we're only lost We're only lost we're only truly lost when all the good people can't decide what side we're on. There's hearsay and heresy. To wade through when the waiting's deep But my teachers have not taught me To hate what is not me And we're only lost We're only lost We're only truly lost 
Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And I'm Josh. <laughs> I, I see you tr- trying a new, uh, new, new approach. A shot. I like it. All right. Um, we are going to do a quick roundup of international news. We won't have time to get to everything. We got distracted talking about friendships. Um, first off, we have been following the uh, no-say-gay areas, the the... Um, homosexual don't live here parts of Poland um, and of course the the legislation arising in Hungary um, in the EU both of these places are in the European Union and are ostensibly you know agreed to various things core values of the European Union including LGBT rights and inclusions well the highest court of justice for the European Union has ruled that uh, access to funding actually does rely on following these core principles. And what that means is if Hungary or Poland or any other country in in Europe wishes to stick their thumb up at at, uh, LGBT rights, which are core to European values, um, that all of the nice cash flow that they get from the European Central Bank, those taps might be turned off. You know, this is something we've talked about many times, Sebastian, that, Mm -hmm. you know, their attack on LGBT rights in their respective countries Mm -hmm. have gone contrary to European values, but the money is still flowing in from the EU. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I I recently rewatched a a completely fictionalized movie called The Norwegian Ninja, which weirdly enough is based on real historical events. And I was kind of reminded of like the whole NATO versus Warsaw Pact and the you know, CIA stay behind and like all sorts of different, like weird historical events. And when I think about what's happening right now in Poland and Hungary, um, it makes me very uncomfortable with the idea of just flat out cutting them off without negotiation, because like neither Hungary nor Poland are a part of NATO. Uh, Poland used to be a part of the Warsaw Pact. I think they distanced themselves from this and the EU distancing, distancing themselves from them could 
push them towards Eastern Europe and an Eastern European bloc. And I think that there's a, like, I'm not saying throw the gays under the bus in order to prevent World War III. Um, but I do think, because that's, I'm literally not saying that, that is gross exaggeration. But there, there is something about the tone of how some of this is happening where there needs to be a way of not alienating them, but also not rewarding them for bad behavior. Because I think this is the fine line that's going on in Crimea that this show is not prepared to talk about. But there's a lot of really subtle politics going on here where we don't want to make things worse, but we don't want to encourage bad behavior and we don't want to give them money for doing bad things. And it, it's I, there's no easy answer. I don't think I, there's a. I am going to correct you because I, I thought it was odd that you would infer that Poland and Hungary are not in the North Atlantic treaty organization are they part of nato both of them are yeah they, they have been for quite a while oh, i think okay. they were founding members so poland has responded by essentially saying that there is now no freedom in europe and uh there is a tyranny from the from the eu uh the european commission uh via president ursula von der Leyen um have issued a statement saying that it confirms the validity of the general conditionality which is essentially saying that you get money Mm -hmm. from following the rules you follow the rules we give you the money that's that's how that how that that's how that works greece learned that two years ago yeah yeah no yeah i i'm all about generous readings and there is no reading of what poland is doing where i i could even fathom to think of anything other than they're doing something bad but yeah no it, it, and and i don't know the idea of there's no freedom in europe it's like no there there's no funding <laughs> this is they're not telling you that you're not allowed to cross borders or that you don't have body autonomy or that you're not allowed to purchase your favorite brand of cola. Uh, they're, they're saying we're cutting off grants, which is a very different beast. And you could make a complaint about that, that, I don't know, homeless programs might have shortfalls, but that's not the same thing as saying there's no freedom in Europe. That's a completely different argument. I, I think it's dishonest. Now, some more folks who may be a little perturbed is pretty much anyone trying to practice conversion therapy. Now, of course, uh, we talked recently about the fact that France had banned conversion therapy. Uh, Canada, uh, last month or two, had also banned conversion therapy. Uh, it was the quickest bill turnaround um, mm -hmm. of this particular parliament uh, in Canada. And it also sounds like Australia hasn't, uh, is still working its way, but uh, Victoria, Australia has also banned conversion therapy. We were following New Zealand uh, as they worked on their own bill to ban conversion therapy. That has now passed. It was uh, one of Jacinda Ardern's uh, election campaigns to, to ban conversion therapy in New Zealand. She has achieved that goal. And it is now believed that the next one on the list that we're going to have to keep an eye out for is the Netherlands, as they are also looking at banning conversion therapy. Uh, the Dutch uh, seem to think that conversion therapy may not be the best idea, which from, to me seems very Dutch. Like they are one mm. of the most LGBT friendly countries in the world. I'm kind of surprised that they are like ninth or tenth on this list and not uh, first or second. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I, there was another one. I believe Israel is also pondering banning conversion therapy. Oh. And this is one that I thought would pique your interest, Sebastian, because we've oh, spoken yes. about the Orthodox uh, denomination is fine with conversion therapy, whereas conservatives 
who are actually a lot more progressive than the word conservative implies. In progressive Jews, who are way more progressive than the, the, the term implies, um, are very much against it. So he, yeah, no, I, I, do, I do have a friend who uh, has been wrestling with his family over this and there has been concern because even though, oh, actually that's one of the, the reasons why uh, when Canada passed the bill, I said, read the exact phrasing to me and let's do it multiple times because I want to nail this. And one of the things that they put in there is not only is conversion therapy banned in Canada, but you also can't basically take somebody out of Canada without their consent and get them into conversion therapy in another country, in part because there are a lot of Orthodox communities that ship people out overseas, not, to, not just to Israel, but to other uh, locations where conversion therapy is still legal. So that phrasing was very, very important. And this is also very exciting um, because there are uh, various denominations of Judaism and a few of them in Israel are very concerned that this has been allowed to go on for as long as it has. So this is good news. Even if it's just in talks and they haven't passed anything yet, the fact that it is in official talks is optimism enough for me. Well, the last story I want to touch on today relates to Kevin Spacey. Uh, you may recognize the name. He was accused by Anthony Rapp, the actor of uh, sexual harassment in 1986 when Anthony Rapp was 14 at the time, uh, as well uh, when he was 15. Um, multiple people came forward and accused Kevin Spacey. However, nearly all of them, given the nature of the fact that it was sexual harassment and abuse, and they were quite young, um, came out anonymously. Uh, judges in various cases have said you need to be on the record or there is no record. Um, and a lot of these cases have folded. Kevin Spacey has straight up denied anything ever happened. He commissioned a report. That report also said, look, by the way, nothing ever happened. Um, and that has inspired at least one more person to come out and put his name on it no. that Kevin Spacey had assaulted him when he was uh, 16. Uh, not assaulted, sorry. He claims that Kevin Spacey had played gay porn for this individual uh, when that individual was 16 um, and Kevin Spacey also was inappropriate and plied him with alcohol. So this essentially corroborates a lot of what Anthony Rapp um, was saying in his allegation. So um, I bring this up because, because we've been following the, the Kevin Spacey story because he's been going for so long and the lack of people willing to come forward uh, almost was the nail in the coffin for uh, the accusations against Kevin Spacey. But it seems mm. like somebody else has now stepped forward being like, this, this can't this can't be let to die because mm -hmm. no one will put their name on it. Um, so yeah, really interesting. We'll keep an eye on and see how this case unfolds um, as we go forward. Is that a thing that happens in the British and Canadian legal system? Like you can't have like claimant number three here, right? Where like the courts know, but it's not necessarily released to the public who the claimant was. I think it, the, the issue as well is that it was a private lawsuit because there's so many statutes of limitations in in the states yeah and since you know kevin spacey and weinstein a lot of these limitations have been removed for childhood abuse and and so on and so forth um, i i like the canadian system which is the longer you leave it the harder it is to prove but if you want to open it 40 years later then we're we will help you investigate this as much right. as we can 
the Anthony Rapp case in this particular instance is a private lawsuit. Mm. Anthony Rapp is suing Kevin Spacey. Um, and it boils down to being able to see your accuser in court, knowing mm. who is accusing you and, and being able to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so the role of the public record is, is you know, so key in lawsuits that right. it does hit this barrier when the privacy of right. the person is so important as well. Yeah. Um, and why this this particular case has struggled to move forward because of the right, privacy okay. issue. But yeah, you're right. Normally, I think the Canadian one is a bit different and there is yep. a bit more court. Protection. If it was a criminal case, you can have a closed courtroom where only... And publication bans and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's ways around it, but you're right. Yeah, if, 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 it's just a, if it's just suing him, then yeah, no, that's different. That's not the same. You don't do blind courtrooms for that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Joshua for joining us this week. We have run out of time. We will be playing out with The Bravery by Irish Mytham from the incredible album Little Bones. Check it out. I have been Luke Smith. I've been Sebastian. I've been Josh. And thank you for listening. I know what you carry, how heavy it is. But just let it go, let it down for a bit. Take our hands. We wanna see you shine.